Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. We're in a very special series. It's called Living Backwards, and we're talking about living with a vision towards what is to come. And so we're really excited about this series. We also have some extended learning opportunities available that I'd love to draw your attention to. The first one is this. Pastor Jonathan is going to be leading an Aging Well course. It's actually virtual. It's starting on November the 6th, Monday evenings for five Monday evenings. We'd love for you to join that. We have a Lunch and Learn seminar with Pastor Keith talking about funeral planning and how we can look at end-of-life planning, as well as another Lunch and Learn the following week, and that is on helping those we love age well. And so this is actually a a panel of experts that we're bringing in. These are going to be fantastic opportunities for us to learn and dive deeper. So if you're interested in any of those, if you could go to the QR code, you can sign up there, and we're just looking forward to what God is going to be doing through this series, both in our weekends and those extended learning opportunities. Now, when I think back on the most memorable moments of my life, one of the memories that comes up and kind of bubbles to the surface is one of these days that I spent on the sunny, beautiful day in the Caribbean Sea. Now, let me tell you how I got to that point. See, Skip and I, we've been married for almost 15 years this June. And so we were on our honeymoon, and we were laying by the pool, just relaxing, enjoying ourselves. And one of the resort hosts came over and said, hey, would you guys like to learn how to scuba dive? And so we were like, yeah, sure, we'd love to learn how to scuba dive. And so they invited us that afternoon to head to the pool. And we spent about an hour learning about how to put on the gear learning about decompression, how to monitor our oxygen levels, how to show our guide if we needed to go back up to the surface. And after that hour, believe it or not, we were certified to go scuba diving. And so the ne- you laugh, I know. The next morning, early in the morning, a bus pulls up, picks up me and Skip, and we go around the island to pick up two more couples. And then I don't know what I was expecting. I kind of was expecting that this, this large school bus would bring us to a boat, and we would get on a boat and then go into the sea and then get dropped off. That's not what happened. They dropped us off at this beach, and it was a local's beach. So there was like all locals hanging out, um, and, and us, and we were not locals. And we were carrying all this dive equipment, and they had us put on this dive equipment at the beach. And then what we did was we proceeded to walk into the water. And we kept walking until we were fully submerged under the water. And we spent the next hour exploring the beautiful coral reefs of the Caribbean Sea. You know, it was unlike anything that I had ever experienced up until that point. It was bursting with color and life. I could have stayed down there forever. Now, eventually, we approached this cave under the water with this very narrow opening, which meant that we had to slide our bodies through the opening. Now, what happened at this point was someone in our group, something was going on with their oxygen levels, and we had, like, throughout the the dive, we had stopped, and he had helped us adjust our ears because, like, our ears were compressing, and so he had helped us, but at this point, we realized that this person, something was going on with their oxygen tank, and he told us we had to head back 
up to the surface. And so that's what we did, and we made our return back to the beach. And when we finally reemerged out of the beach and were on the land, our instructor congratulated us, and he said, you made it to the 25-meter mark, and next time he would take us through the cave. Now, friends, this was mo one of the most memorable experiences of my life. A few, a few hours underwater, and I was hooked. I was barely able to think about a time in which I would not go back under the water. I didn't even realize how once in a life opportunity this moment was, because when we returned home, we went out for dinner with one of Skip's buddies and, and his new girlfriend that we were meeting, and we were telling them about this incredible experience under the water in the Caribbean Sea, and she was growing more and more concerned. Her face was not looking excited like ours, and she confirmed, you went 25 meters under the water? And we said, yeah, that's exactly what our guide said. And she let us know that she was going for her diving certificates, and you needed multiple diving certificates before you ever reached that type of depth. But even that knowledge of how dangerous this experience was could not have dulled the experience for me, because everything about that day had been exhilarating. I was completely hooked. And since then, I've jumped at every opportunity to go under the water. The simple fact that so much life happens underneath the surface, often unbeknownst to us, had me left in such a state of wonder that I could never go back to not knowing that there was an entire world that existed under the water. Now, the Apostle Paul, he talks about an invisible world that exists that we often are unaware of. In fact, throughout his writings and his letters, Paul draws our attention to the fact that there's a realm in full existence, but it's not easily identified by the naked eye. It's almost as if he, in his letters he's, re, he's writing, look closer, look closer and see it. Let me show you what I mean. For example, as we read through the Genesis story, and Dr. Van read through it yesterday, it's e or last week, it's easy to picture the physical attributes that was happening in that story. Land is rising from the waters. Stars are being formed. The sun and moon begin to move in the sky. Plants are appearing from the ground. Animals of every shape and size are roaming on the earth. The physical world is exploding with color. Imagine the feast for your eyes if you could just sit there and watch it all unfold. And it would be so easy to fix our attention on what we can see in the physical. But I love what Paul writes about when he writes about creation. He says this, We understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. See, Paul is encouraging us to recognize that there is an invisible realm that's beyond what our physical eyes can see. There's an invisible realm that was actually involved in and responsible for creating the physical world that you and I actively live in today. Later in Colossians, Paul goes on to explain more about this invisible world. This is what he says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all of the creation. God created everything through him in the heavenly realms and here on earth. Pause there for a second. It's interesting. It's so often easy to assume that only God was at the beginning of creation. Maybe the spirit because he was hovering over the waters. But Jesus was there. He was creating the world and he was actually sustaining 
the world, and the entire universe. And it goes on to say, he made the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created for him and through him. That's interesting. He made the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see. So not only is this invisible world active at the time of creation, it's actually active today. There are things that we cannot see. Paul says that there are thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in this unseen world. Interesting. So there's a physical world that you and I are currently living right now. We're seated in it. We can feel the ground. We're standing on it. And then there's this invisible world that you and I can't see, but the invisible world created the physical world that we are currently standing on. And if your brains aren't kind of circling at this point, Paul goes on to explain how we should live with this knowledge and reality. He says this, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that we cannot see. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. Let's pause there for a second. I want to map out kind of like what we know about this physical world and this invisible world. First, we know this, the invisible world, Paul says, are the heavenly realms. He mentions kingdoms, rulers, and authorities, and he says that it's eternal. So that's what Paul says about the invisible world. What do we know about the physical world? Well, we know the earth is a part of the physical world. We can see it, we can touch it, we can experience it. We know that there's pain and suffering. God, uh, Paul talks about troubles. You're going to have troubles in this world. He says, don't focus on them. Focus over here. And he also says, it's soon to be gone. Now, pause on that pain and suffering idea for a moment. Dr. Van last week, he did such a beautiful job of teaching that to us and helping us grasp what, how to understand that, the promise of heaven in relation to this pain and suffering. Oh, can we go back for a second? In relation to this pain and suffering that we currently are feeling. If, if you need a refresher on what Dr. Van was actually talking about, I kind of broke it down for you in these three things. The reality of heaven. Dr. Van said there's no tears or pain. The Bible talks about that there's going to be no tears or pain or suffering. God will wipe every tear from our eyes. God's presence will be with us for all of eternity. And we actually, he said, get glimpses of heaven here on the earth. See, there is a plan that has been formed since the beginning of time that God promises that one day he is going to wipe every tear from our eyes. And the, the promise of heaven is actually that we're going to be with God forever. And because of that, the pain and the suffering, the troubles that we currently face, well, they have an end date, don't they? And here in this life, Dr. Van said that we get these glimpses of heaven here on earth. We see it through the ways that the followers of Jesus bring light and love to the dark spaces of this world. They illuminate the world with the love of Jesus. That's how God's presence is here on the earth. He lives in the presence of, in, in God's people. Friends, we need this promise of heaven to actually fuel us how we are going to live today because life can often feel like a battle, can't it? We are talking about that in worship this morning, that sometimes just turn on the news. You'll be faced with the reality. You'll be flooded with heartbreaking images of war, of famine, of destruction. Our world is filled with senseless violence, acts towards vulnerable people who are desperate to live. It's heartbreaking 
to watch and witness a world that chooses to live completely opposite of the way its creator intended it to. And as we watch evil unfold in our world, it's difficult to understand why is this happening? Well, Paul writes about this when he's talking about the existence of this invisible realm. And he gives us some understanding in his letters. This is what he says. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, I want you to notice in this verse that Paul is kind of identifying for us both the visible world and the invisible world. We are not fighting against what? Flesh and blood enemies. That would be the physical world that we're currently living in. But against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world. Paul is identifying that there is a battle that is going on. And it's experienced in the physical world, our flesh and blood, and also the invisible realm, this dark world that he is saying, the unseen world. See, when we see evil happening in today's world, there's an overlap of these two realms that is currently happening. See, what we experience in the physical realm actually, the Bible says, affects the invisible realm and vice versa. See, this verse alone shows us that the reality of an invisible world that that it's actually happening. But you know what, this is such a deep theological thought that some theologians, they spend their entire lives looking at these, these verses, trying to understand what they mean for us today. So today, since I can't hand out, I don't have the ability to hand you out doctorates, um, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna outline four anchor points that I think will help us better understand the relationship that Paul is trying to talk about between this invisible world and our physical world that we currently live in. The first one is this. The dark world impacts our physical realm. This truth is obvious from the text that I have been reading to you. The dark world has an effect on our physical realm. A great example of this is the story of Adam and Eve. See, they're living in true paradise. They're daily experiencing beauty, the beauty of creation through their senses. And though they might be living in a physical realm, they're able to touch, feel, eat, smell the world that has been created for them, they also experience the invisible realm because the Bible talks about that they, they walk and talk with the creator. But then comes a moment when they decide to disobey and they decide to eat that forbidden fruit that God asked them not to do. And the Bible says that their eyes were opened to the reality of that their world that they were experiencing was more than what they were seeing. The Bible says that for all of a sudden they experienced nakedness, they experienced shame, they experienced sin. The next moment their eyes are opened and they're completely aware of a world that they had not seen. Their eyes were opened and they could never go back to what they had once known. Very similar to how I had been under the water and from that moment I could never go back to not knowing about the world happening under the water, that invisible realm that was happening. The second thing is their eyes were open to the invisible realm and the battle that was actually happening there, which is point number two. There is a constant struggle of good versus evil. See, I find it fascinating that at the heart of every good story, there is this constant problem 
of good versus evil. Just think about the favorite pages of one of your favorite novels. Think about one of those great stories that you love watching on the big screen. Think about maybe the beautiful piece of artwork or maybe the songs to a lyric, or the lyrics to a song that you love. All of them contain this struggle of good versus evil. See, we are all drawn to the idea of this struggle of a kingdom of light battling a kingdom of darkness because it's at the core of our DNA. It's our story. It's a story that has been happening throughout the entire existence of the world. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, God has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to the end. See, God has, a plant, God has planted the ability to recognize this invisible realm that has existed and will always exist inside of our hearts, which is why we, are re- we recognize and are drawn to the fact that there's been this battle going on since the beginning of time. See, it's a story of a creator who loved his creation so much and the story of an enemy who seeks to destroy the creator by destroying the creation that he so loves. Which brings us to point number three, and it's this. The dark world attempts to pull us off of our mission. Because there's this battle going on between good and evil, the dark world's goal is actually to seek, kill, and destroy our communion with God. I like how one theologian wrote it. He said this, our enemies strive to deprive us from and obstruct our communion with heaven. They don't want us talking to God. They don't want us having a relationship with God. That's their goal, to destruct it. Friends, the evil one knows the end plan is for us to spend eternity in heaven with God. He knows that there is an expiry date to this physical world that we are currently living in. And his goal is actually to pull us off mission so that we lose sight of the hope that we have, eternity with our creator. He would love nothing more than our energy to be drained and our heart to be given up to to the hope that we can share with the world around us. He'd love for us to be apathetic so that we don't even recognize that there's an invisible realm happening and a battle going on, which brings us to point number four. The dark world gives us glimpses into a future reality, and that is hell. Now, we often can allow the reality of this invisible realm and this dark world to fill us with fear rather than awareness and knowledge. If I'm honest as a pastor, I see this happen often, that the reality that there's a dark world actually fills followers of Jesus with fear instead of an awareness and a knowledge of what is going on. You've heard me speak about the community, the church family that I grew up in. It was a fantastic church family. It was very formative in me following Jesus in my early years. They did a lot of things right. A lot of things right. A lot of things that I am thankful for. But one thing I think they may have missed the mark on is this concept, these two words, fear and awareness. See, instead of letting the awareness of an invisible realm push us to fear, uh, push us to awareness, they actually allowed it to push us towards fear. And and their kind of um, breakout of these two words looks something like this. Fear became huge, and awareness seemed to shrink a little bit. Now, I was born in the 80s, 
makes me a 90s kid. And if you were around in the 80s or 90s uh, in church at that time, let me remind you about, there were some really awesome things that came out of that time. Let me remind you of some of them right here. Maybe you'll recognize some of these. How many of you recognize some of those? Like there were some really good things that came out of the 80s and 90s. Like I know every one of my Bible stories. If Pastor Jonathan or Pastor Keith are talking about a Bible story, I can almost guarantee I remember the flannel graphs and putting those characters up on the board. Also, bell choir. Anybody ever been in the bell choir before at church? Bell choir taught you that everybody had a role to play in God's family. Everyone had a part to add to it. Um, Veggie Tales. I can still remember some of those songs. When I'm in situations, I can remember uh, some of those songs and those truths. McGee and Me, all these different videos that came out, Jesus Storybook, all those things, teaching kids the truth about who God was. Um, DC Talk, any Jesus freaks? Uh, yeah, some of Jesus freaks. And you know what? What would Jesus do? I don't know. Like, did you ever walk around with some of these bracelets on your... Like, Taylor Swift thinks that she created the stack of friendship bracelets, but I'd go back to maybe it was the 90s Christian kids that came up with those things. You know what? There was a lot of great things that came out of the 80s and 90s Christian culture. But one thing that I think they may have got wrong was their interpretation of what we actually do about the invisible realm. You see, remember... This is kind of what the breakdown was. We knew there was an invisible realm. It pushed us towards fear instead of awareness. Awareness really started to shrink and fear started to grow. This interpretation that that evil was around every corner and you had to be really, really careful because it could just snatch you from God's hands or worse, it could attach itself to you, which when I think about those things, it's actually crazy. And like many things that I've heard as a pastor about the invisible realm, it was completely unbiblical. Because with knowledge of the invisible realm, it should move us more to this. Our awareness should grow as our fear shrinks. Knowledge of the invisible realm and that there's this dark world and that there's an enemy out to get us, our awareness should grow as our fear shrinks. Because here's the truth. God is bigger Than the dark world. He is not scared of it, and we should not be either. This is what the Bible has to say about this concept of fear and awareness. It says, But you belong to God, and you have already won a victory over evil because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Yes, there is evil at work in our world, but the Bible is clear that we are to be aware of it not fearful of it. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So instead of fearing the evil we see in the world, it should actually make us aware that we are in a battle against it. And how we actually live in this physical world, our prayer life, our treatment of others, how we choose to follow Jesus, our obedience in actually helping others learn to follow him, actually affects the invisible realm the Bible says. And it should also make us more aware of the future realities of this dark world. Because just as Dr. Van said, the presence, God's presence in our lives gives us glimpses of what heaven is going to be like. The presence of darkness in this world actually gives us glimpses into what hell will fully be like. The Bible gives us this vision that will happen one day. It says this, this is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, 
throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And let me tell you, as a pastor, I did not want to even read this Bible verse. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't even like this Bible verse. But it's in the Bible, and we, we can learn from it. Now, weeping and gnashing, what does that mean? It speaks to deep anguish, deep pain, utter despair. The reason there's going to be so much pain and anguish and despair in hell is because it simply means there's an eternal separation from God. And there's also an eternal separation from God's power to defeat evil. See, if heaven means that we're going to be with God forever, then hell means that we're going to be separated from God forever. Remember, heaven is like living with God's presence forever, where there will be no pain and there will be no sorrow. But in contrast, hell is eternal separation from God, where there will be constant pain, and there will be constant sorrow. And here's the reality, and this one's really hard. We are all on a path towards hell because we all fall into the camp of the wicked, don't we? We love to read this verse and think, oh, thank goodness I'm on the right side, I'm going this way. But the truth is, if we read the Bible, it says we are all on a path to hell, that all of us are wicked. Paul writes in Romans that everyone has sinned. See, from my earliest years, I've constantly chose my way over God's ways. Left to my own devices, I always put myself before him. And Paul continues to go on and write in Romans that the penalty for this sin, this choosing to live my way instead of God's way, is death. Now, it's, sometimes we say the word death and we think physical death. It's not a physical death. All of us will die. Every one of us is going to die. We're all on a path to death because we're all going to die. But the Bible is actually talking about uh, a death in the invisible realm. So not happening in the physical realm, but actually happening in the invisible realm, a spiritual type of death, a death that would mean I'm separated for, from God for all of eternity. See, because of our sin, because of the way that we choose to live our lives, you and I are all on a path towards hell and eternal separation from God. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there, does it? See, there's this story that's playing out in the invisible world between good versus evil, of a God who desperately loves his creation and he refuses to allow the, the enemy to win the battle. And maybe the most beautiful thing that you could read in the Bible are these words of truth for us today. Yet God in his grace freely makes us righteous in his sight. He did this through Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. You see, when Jesus entered the physical realm as a baby, something was happening in the invisible realm. And when Jesus died a physical death on a cross, the Bible says a shift happened in the invisible realm. See, the battle was over between good and evil. When the creator became the sacrifice, he paid the debt in the physical realm that was actually required in the invisible realm. The reality is that you and I are not just physical beings who have these spiritual experiences when we come to a gathering like this, or when we read our Bible, when we're listening to worship music. We are also spiritual beings that are having a physical experience. See, I am both spiritual and physical all at the same time. 
And so living backwards means we live with the knowledge that there is an invisible world happening alongside of our physical world. And while the world would probably encourage you just to pay attention to what's going on in front of you, keep your eyes focused on the here and the now and what you can see, Paul actually encourages us to open up our eyes and broaden our perspective to be aware of the fact that there's this past, present, and future to our story. And so we live with the knowledge that while we experience a very physical world that's going on around us, there is also this invisible world that existed before the beginning of time, and the Bible tells us will continue to exist for eternity, which helps us then to live with the awareness that we live in a physical realm where we experience the joy and the pain and the troubles, the things that we experience in this world, but there is also a very spiritual, a very real spiritual invisible realm. And the truth is that how I choose to live my life in the physical realm actually impacts the invisible realm, both now and into the future. And so because sometimes it's easier to understand how this all works, because these are some lofty thoughts, right? Like the Hubble has all these themes that we really need to dive in and understand. Because it's sometimes so hard to understand some of these really big ideas, I thought that as we close this morning, I might share with you how this past Tuesday went for me. Now, before I share with that, I want to recognize that it's probably going to be hard for you to acknowledge that the person in this story is the same person, your Pastor Jessica, that is standing here on the stage talking to you today. Because I'm sure it's sometimes easier to think us pastors live these like holy lives, separated, and we're just such lovely people. Our families love us so much. You probably think we live at the church. Surprise, we actually have our own, like we live with our families outside of this church. So it's going to be hard for you to understand maybe that this person that I'm going to tell you about is actually me. But really, we are just normal people, full of moments where we lose our tempers, where we're frustrated, where we choose our way instead of God's way. So this past Tuesday, I knew I had to work late that night, and so I had said to Skip, so sacrificially of me, I had said, oh, Skip, you know what? I'll stay at home this morning with the kids. I'll get them ready for school. I'll spend some time with them, make sure that they're loved up before they head out into the world. It's going to break them down. Like, I'll just make sure that I just spend a lot of great quality time with them before they head off to school. So Skip goes off to work, and normally he stays home on Tuesday mornings, but I stayed home on Tuesday morning. I woke the kids up, so I went down to their bedrooms. Hey, guys. Time to get up and face a wonderful day. And no one's getting up. No, except for one of them who isn't even in his bed. I don't even know where he is at this point of time, somewhere in the house. The girls, nobody wants to get up. And I'm trying to be loving and kind and gracious. And eventually, after a couple of minutes, I get angry. And I scream at them, get up as I walk down to my bedroom to get ready for myself. Now, our mornings go very similarly every single time. It's about 65 minutes to get everyone up, everybody ready, lunch is packed and out the door. And 65 minutes sounds like a lot of time until you realize that it's not. And what, what's even worse is when your family is out to get you, which is exactly what was happening on this Tuesday morning. So I'm yelling at my kids, I'm getting ready, I'm in my own bathroom, and I hear a knock on the door, and I'm like, what? I'm already angry. And one of them says, in tears, Mom, I think I broke my hand. And I was like, you broke your hand? Like, what? And so I open the door, and like, it's not broken. But it's like, 
sprained. And so I said, okay, let's go downstairs and get the ice pack. So me and this kid head downstairs. The other one is, I think, still in bed, and my son is nowhere to be found. I walk downstairs to the kitchen, and I'm already frustrated. Like, I ask these kids, sit down at the table. Don't be chaotic so I can be nice and calm. Instead, my son is wrapped up in a curtain, and he's, like, trying to pull the curtain from the ceiling. He's like, surprise! I'm like, sit down. The other one's crying. So we get the ice pack. We, we realize, you know what? It, it's fine. It's totally fine. You're going to be fine. Maybe we'll get the brace and put, go find the brace in the first aid um, cupboard. And so that kid goes to find the brace for her wrist. And, um, of course... Uh, the last time the brace was used, no one put it back together. So I'm grumbling, like, why am I the only one that ever puts any... I only take responsibility for our stuff. No one ever helps me do anything. The other two kids are now crying at the table because they say, you never care when we get hurt. You never get the brace when we get hurt. They're, like, calling out their orders of, like, all the things that had happened to them that week that I hadn't... Anyways, you can imagine how the whole day is going. We're at least 20 minutes behind schedule. Finally, everyone's back at the table. I'm making them breakfast, pull out the things for lunch. I'm like, can somebody help me? Somebody grab some waters for the kids at the table. So one of the kids comes and fills up some waters, hands out the water while my son, who was wrapped up in the curtain, he spills water all over the table, all over the girls' homework. So you can imagine the fights that are ensuing. Like, at this point, I'm in mean mom mode. I'm just barking out orders. Dry that up. Pass out some waters. Pack the lunches. Eat your food. Let's go, let's go, let's go. That's when I go to fill up the water cups, and I realize the water cups weren't washed the day before. They can't go in the dishwasher. They have to be hand-washed. So I'm already angry at my husband because he should have washed the, the water cups. I'm the, one, I'm the one that sacrificed my time to give to these children. I am, like, in a terrible mood. And so I'm washing these water cups, and then I go to fill them up and realize, oh, nobody filled up the water container inside the fridge and so now I have to grab that. At this point, I am grumbling, and I'm loud, right? There's three sponges in front of me, and I am not being quiet. I should have taken a moment. I, I, in fact, one of my kids had said to me, Mom, why don't you just breathe? Because that's what they teach them in school. They're like, why don't you just breathe and, like, center yourself? And so as this kid suggests this, you know what? A part of me thought, oh, maybe that's the Holy Spirit. And that part of me thought, no, it's not. It's this, this evil child in front of me. So I will not be breathing. Sit down and eat your breakfast. So I go. I have to now take the water container, bring it over to the sink. And as I'm filling it up, I am grumbling out loud. And I'm saying things like, doesn't anybody recognize the sacrifices that I make for this family? I'm saying things like, why are my children so ungrateful for everything that we do for them? I'm even throwing Skip under the bus. Why did Skip not fill up the water last night when he knew that I was going to stay at home with the children? And you know what? As I filled up that water machine, I could have taken a moment. I should have. Because everything that happened next probably would have calmed right down. But instead, I didn't. I was grumbling. I was complaining. And as I took that full water jug back to the fridge, didn't it slip out of my hands? And eight liters of water starts to spread all over our floor. And you know what? This flood caused me to reach my limit. Now almost 30 minutes late in our morning, and I'm embarrassed to admit to you the words that came out of my mouth in front of my children. Now, they probably report them to you. Now, we've all lived these types of mornings before, haven't we? I'm, I'm not the only one. I know that you have lived these lives, and you can laugh at them. You can laugh at my misfortune because... Really? It's really minor, right? But here's the interesting thing. Often as a pastor, people have brought me these types of mornings, and they've said things to me like, I think I'm under spiritual attack. 
I'm not kidding. So let me ask you, do you think I was under spiritual attack on that Tuesday morning? Well, first question, was Satan attacking me? Well, the answer is no. Satan was not attacking me. You know how I know? Because Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. God is the only one that has that power that he is omnipresent everywhere all the time. So I highly doubt that on Tuesday morning, everything going on in the universe, Satan wanted to focus all his attention on Jessica Collins having a terrible morning. The second question, were there powers of this dark world involved in what was happening in my physical world? Well, you know what? The answer is possibly. In reality, I had been praying and discerning all this past week what the Spirit would want to say to us this weekend. You see, when we stand up here, we don't just talk about the things that we want to talk about, like the things that are on our hearts and like, I'm definitely going to be talking about that today. No, we spend time. We actually spend a year in advance deciding what we're going to teach on, but we spend the weeks leading up to it really praying and discerning what the Spirit might want to say. That's why people can come come up to us and say, oh, you were speaking directly to me. That message was for me. Well, of course it was because the Holy Spirit knows what you're going through. He knows your yesterdays, he knows your tomorrows, he knows what you need to be equipped this week to deal with what you are going to deal with. So maybe, maybe the powers of the dark world were, were involved in the invisible realm and were affecting my physical world in that moment as I was attempting to hear from the Spirit while still living my very physical reality. Like that theologian said, the enemy attempts to deprive us from and obstruct our communion with God in heaven. So maybe my Tuesday morning experience could have had some sort of stuff going on in the invisible realm. But there's another explanation of what I know is certain that was going on. Who do you think the common denominator in this whole story was? It was me. It was Pastor Jessica. And as hard as it is to understand this, Pastor Jessica is a human. And so I continually fall short of following Jesus. Sometimes the thing that we don't like to admit is that there is a battle of good and evil that is going on right inside of us. Philip Yancey once wrote these words. He said, as a rule, people find it easier to recognize the existence of evil as some dark force present in criminals and mass murderers rather than the possibility of more subtle personal sins that are lurking inside themselves. See, I was made in the image of God, but I was born from the line of Adam and Eve, which means that there is sin that's going on inside of me right from my very first breath. And there's this battle of good and evil that wages between the very fabric of my days and the days of my life. Will I yield to the Holy Spirit? Will I stand firm against an enemy who desires to devour my soul and drag me away from the mission that is set before me. Friends, on that moment, I, on that morning, on that Tuesday morning, I was less than kind. I was less than loving. I was less than patient. I was certainly less than yielded to the Holy Spirit. Life was not flowing from my lips. Last week, Dr. Van said this. He said, the world is getting better and worse all at the same time. And the same is true with us. We have the ability to go this way or go this way. It's my choice if my entire life is going to be yielded to the Spirit or just compartments of it. Because every time I choose my way, I actually go this way. 
And as a result, I'm partnering with the evil powers of this world and actually fighting against God's mission here on this earth. But every time I decide to follow Jesus, every time I choose his path instead of my own, I go this way and I partner with him and his mission that he is working out here on this earth. Because the truth is that we are always engaging in an invisible realm. Whether we're going this way or whether we're going this way, we are constantly participating in a battle that we know he will win. Let's pray. First, I'd like to pray with those who might be joining us today who maybe you would want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you've never considered there being any other realm but the one that you can touch and see in front of you. But as I was talking today, maybe you recognized the fact that there is a war of good and evil going on even inside of you. And if that's you and maybe you'd want to respond to Jesus this morning, I'm going to invite you to say just a very simple prayer with me. Jesus, I want to thank you for coming to this physical world and dying on a cross so that my problem of sin could be solved in the invisible realm. Jesus, thank you for the promise that people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. And so Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for me. And because of that, I believe that I will get to spend eternity with you forever. And so as I follow you, God, would you help me to partner with you in your mission here on this earth? And God, I also want to pray for all of us here today. God, some of us, we need this reminder that there's an invisible world going on just as we live in this physical world, God, and that it impacts our physical world. And so would you help us to live with our eyes wide open? Would you help us to recognize and remember that we get to choose to live in a physical world that can impact the invisible realm? God, would you allow this awareness of the invisible realm to lead us to opportunities to partner with you? Would you help us to use the tools that you equip us with, God? I think of our prayer life. I think of our obedience, our faithfulness, God. The way that we follow you, would you help those things make us a witness to this world? Instead of causing us to freeze in fear, God, would you help this awareness propel us, launch us into mission, so that we might be better partners with you as you impact the world that we live in. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you are here, and I thank you that you are going to be with us in the days to come, in the weeks to come, God, in this week that we're going to come, God, you know what we need. And so I pray that you would provide it. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live.
We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing, both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.